We're looking at chapter 1 of the Confession, specifically paragraph 8. A little bit lengthier. I'm going to try to uh, move fairly quickly, but let me read it if you follow along with me. The Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of of the writing of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence, kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentic. So as in all controversies of I didn't jump, right? There we go. Sorry. So as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal to them. But because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God who have a right unto an interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation unto which they come, that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. Again, chapter one, the whole foundation of all of it is the sufficiency and inerrancy of the word of God. That that is our foundation for everything. We see the beginning of, of this paragraph points us how the scriptures have come to the people of God. First of all, they were given by God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That it's not man created, but it comes from God and it is inspired by God. Romans chapter 3 verse 2 Paul writes, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. The the gift that God has given us in his word. It is the blessing. And as the paragraph states, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. There's a couple sections in Daniel and Ezra that were written in Aramaic. But were written in the tongues of the people. And as they were given by God, it says they were immediately inspired by God. Meaning that God directly gave them that it was not the church who was given the, or, or the, even the people of God that was given it, but that God directly gave it. That there was no intermediary of that other than the prophets of God proclaiming the word of God. In 2 Peter 1, verse 20, we see knowing this, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That there was no church that gave the word of God. There was no Pope that gave the word of God. There was no inner light like the Quakers would hold that where the word of God came from, it was directly from God himself inspiring it what a temptation it is we have to want to step in that intermediary role to that god has given me something that i need to then tell people i have a 
I have a quote uh, saved on my computer. I think it's R.C. Sproul. Um, and it says, uh, if, if God told you something, you better put it in ink and put it in the Bible. Um, and and there's, a, there's a sense in which we understand that God through providence works and speaks and, and in many ways. But if we must always be cautious to say, God said this. Because when we're saying that, it is a command of God that we must obey. And just as we have been given the word of God directly from him, it is a sufficient place that we can look to. But we see the paragraph continues. It was immediately inspired by God and by his singular care and providence kept pure in all ages. That God superintendingly protected it. That from the original autographs, which were inspired and infallible, what we mean by autographs or what they physically wrote. We don't have any copies of the physical writings of Peter, John, any of the, the original manuscripts. We don't have those. Those we know were 100% inspired, 100% infallible. Everything we have is a transmission, but we see by the grace of God that he has protected it and kept it from error. One of the blessings of archaeology is we continue to find more and more manuscripts, more and more. And when we say manuscripts, it's not like full copies of the New Testament. It's sections or fragments. But what those fragments continue to do is to show that what we have, what we have had throughout history and that God has superintended to have us have is so accurate. That anytime somebody attacks it and says, well, the scriptures have some inaccuracies, you begin to look at any book of antiquity and compare it for its, how close of its writing, how many manuscripts, they pale in comparison to the word of God. What a blessing it is. Those manu- the number of manuscripts should never be our hope, but it is when we have hoped in the scriptures, it's a strengthening, it's a reminder there's, there's work today because in, in older times, there were many manuscripts in different places and no one was able to really put them side by side. And now with um, uh, scanning and computers, they're analyzing and showing how they work together and really showing us that the word of God we've had all along is such a clear testimony to God's superintending care to give it to us that we can trust it. We see that this care that God has given to us to keep it pure reminds us that they are authentic. And because they are authentic, the purpose of them, first of all stated here, is that it is for us settling controversies. We'll see this a little bit more uh, in in the next couple weeks. But as Acts 17, 11 we see that the <coughs> um, that these are four more uh, that they excuse me speaking of the Bereans, my mind just went blank. These were more fair minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness, searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. That the Bereans are a wonderful testimony to us when we have disagreements, where do we go? Is it to man's opinion? Do we go to some religious court? Or do we go to the word of God? That that is where we can come to and to solve the controversies of religion. 
in the church is to finally, and what it means by finally is not like, hey, when we've given up all things else, we come to this. No, our crux of every place that we go to is to appeal to the scriptures because they are authentic, because they are inspired by God, because he has cared for them, that we could have them and hold on to them with confidence. Then it continues, kind of that, that uh, paragraph break, if you're following along, that we see the purpose of the scriptures is for settling controversy, but secondly, for personal study. But because these original tongues, it says, are not known to all the people of God, we have the right unto and interest in the scriptures and are commanded in the fear of, to read, the fear of God to read and search them. What a joy it is that not just the elite leaders have the word of God, but that we have them. Jesus says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. That in the scriptures we see Christ, just like on the road to Emmaus, he opened their eyes and began to teach them, beginning in the law and the prophets, showing the things concerning himself. And from Genesis to Revelation, we see the beauty of Christ. And so we're called to read it, to search them, to understand them. We saw this a little bit last week with the clarity of the scriptures that we're able to read and to study them, but there's a duty. Deuteronomy 6, a well-known passage, but often it becomes so familiar we forget the weight of the command God said to the nation Israel and by application to us, and these are the words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So we have the word of God given. And as it is given, the middle of that second paragraph, therefore they are to be translated in the vulgar language. Now, when we say vulgar language, that's not meaning curse word language. That's not finding the, the gutters of the language of the society. Uh, we're, we're not talking uh, about some of the things that people would even call translations. What it means by vulgar is meaning the common language, the one that people speak. The vulgar language of every nation unto which they come. we see that this is the the call for the word of God to be translated. And when it says tongues, it's not talking about some unknown language, but these are the the spoken tongues of the people. Just as in the day of Pentecost, as as it was translated, these weren't unknown tongues. It was the ability for Peter's message to be proclaimed and they all understood it in their own tongue, those, those known languages, but one was not those languages were not known to the speaker. And so we see the beauty that we have, the scriptures, and because of the call for these scriptures to be studied by people, we want to get the language, we want to get the scriptures interpreted into their language. Which becomes difficult. It's not a, a throw it into Google Translate and it pops out the other side. It takes a lot of work and an understanding Throughout church history, we've seen this. We see the Septuagint uh, that was translated in the third century BC. Jerome with the Latin Vulgate in 405 AD was the common language at the time. 
John Wycliffe in 1385 translated it into English. William Tyndale and John Rogers in 1537, which was called the Matthew Bible. Greek and New, uh, from the Greek and Hebrew, the New Testament in 1526 and Tyndale in 1536 was burnt at the stake and John Rogers finished his work. If you've not studied that, that historical account, what an amazing um, providence of God to continue that and to protect the work of William Tyndale and how John Rogers honored William Tyndale in that. But we don't look to William Tyndale. We don't look to John Rogers or Wycliffe or Jerome. But we see the hand of providence of God working to give us the word of God and the blessing to have it in our language. As Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, till I come, give attention to reading, that's the public reading, to exhortation and to doctrine. And so by application, if it is to be publicly read, it is to be able to be understood by the people it's being read to. Why is this? That the word can dwell plentifully. I, I believe this is referring to the idea that it's not the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. It's not that a, a, a emphasis, but it's that the word of God is so vast and, and around so much that there's not just one copy in a church somewhere, but that it's multiplied, not to sit on the, the recesses of our homes in some little corner, but that... Uh, even the pauper has a copy of the scriptures that he is reading, kind of thinking from an, an older English look. And so we see that it is dwelling plentifully in all, so that so they may worship him in an acceptable manner. What does the word of God do? It is that regulative principle for us to guide us in how we are to worship him, not through the uh, traditions of man, but through his words. And then lastly, and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. We see that in Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before for, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Even thinking about our passage this morning, that passage was written that might encourage us to have more hope. And so it's the application of Romans 15, 4, that we're seeing the word of God. The word of God is stirring our hearts and reminding us that we need to set our gaze, not here in this world, but continue to fix our gaze cleanly and clearly upon the revelation of Christ. And so it is the beauty that we have the word of God given to us. But with that beauty to have it, it's a great responsibility. A responsibility that we've been given it to not just, again, sit on the, the shelves of our home, but as individuals, as families, and as a church, that the word of God is central in our lives to guide us, to lead us through all areas of life. It's said, it's said right now that there are 7,300 and 87 translation works that are uh, as far as spoken languages around the world. The current need right now is 2,563. 
Now, sometimes it's, do they have a fragment of the scriptures? Do they have a New Testament? But to consider this, that in the late 1990s, Bible translators figured that at, the, at then, the current rate of starting new translations, it would not be until 2150 that the work would have started in every language needing Bible translation. But by God's grace, through people being trained, through technology, through methods and bringing awareness to it, they estimate that that time frame is probably down to about 2030. And this statistic was in uh, 2021. So consider the joy and the emphasis. And part of it is, I think I was reading, every day 10 languages die. It's kind of interesting. People groups are giving up their languages because they're seeing that, that what it's caused is they can't communicate with other people. And so what's a blessing in that is fewer and fewer languages are really needed as people are changing their languages. No, I don't think we'll ever have one world language. Um, But the way of God's providence in this is limiting the number of translations that are needed, but also bringing awareness and better ways of communicating these things. And so people like Wycliffe um, uh, are are doing a great job, Uh, New Tribes Missions as well, trying to get the word of God into the people's tongue. And in many of those cases, they have to learn that language first, have to create a written language because it's not even written down to then even be able to create the scriptures. But is it a worthy cause? Yeah, it is because of this, because the word of God should be studied and understood by people. So what a joy it is. I share those things to even to as we kind of think about prayer, is be praying for those working in translation. It's not a three-month process. Even in, like this morning, with the English and how things can get lost, imagine trying to translate it in a language that doesn't even have grammar rules. What a worthy cause it is to to devote and to be praying that God would raise up maybe even some from here to help in that translation process, that the word of God would go forth because faith comes by hearing and hearing what? By the word of God. So praise him. Let's pray.